Thanks, Matt. I think we're uh, on to a world record because at my house, because the fish that you see here, we have, or that's going right there, we, we caught some of those last year, and they're still alive. <laughs> no joke, still alive. So praising God for that, and I didn't even know where they came from. And, and then the other day, we're like, oh, the fish. Hey, we got those at the Harvest Festival at Grace Hills. Maybe we'll get some more. I'm thinking, keep the record going. Hey, recently in a message uh, by Pastor Mike, he asked this question. What kind of facial expression do you think Jesus had most of the time? You know, during those three years of earthly ministry, like, what was his facial expression like? What, what do you think that was like? And I thought, man, I, I, I don't know. And he kind of threw out some ideas like, well, was he expressionless? Like, there was just no expression whatsoever? Or was it more of an expression of kind of just, I don't know, disappointment? Because, uh, you know, there's lots of stories of the disciples lacking in faith. So I could see that being maybe a facial expression that Jesus had. Or maybe when you read the stories about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the teachers of the law, and how frustrating he was with them. And, and so I thought, well, maybe it's a facial expression of just anger and just frustration. And, and then I thought, well, maybe there's possible that he could have occasionally a smile on his face. Like, like when he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I thought, I would think that maybe at that moment Jesus smiled in some way. And, and so this was an interesting question to me and one I couldn't confidently answer. And I'm still in the process of that. And so I was caught in this state of wonderment. And as the week progressed, I received, surprise, a text, right? That you get those, right? And this particular text had one of those things called an emoji in them. How many of you know what emojis are? In, a, in your cell phone, that's that section where there's all those circular faces, because that's kind of what our faces are. They're in circles, and they have different facial expressions. And this got me thinking. This got me thinking. This is it. When you think of God, what kind of emoji comes to mind? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? I never had, and as I've been processing this idea of like, well, if I was to text an emoji, as I was thinking about the facial expression of God, what would it be? There's a lot on there, and I, and I was processing that, and so the best theologians I could go to on this were my 8- and 10-year-old, and so I asked them, hey, what do you think? And so I have up on the screen here a uh, picture of a screenshot of the text, so this is to my wife. It says, and I said, can you help? Um, they asked me what I was doing. I said, if you were to choose a facial emoji to describe God, what would it be? And so as you can see there, my daughter sent back the emoji with a halo on top. And I thought, okay, thank you. How about your brother Emerson? And he sends the one with the uh, hearts there in the eyes. And I thought, all right. So my kids, theologically, are thinking about the holiness of God. That's what comes to mind with the halo. And then I was thinking with my son, he's thinking about the attribute of the love of God, right? Just kind of processing that through in their minds. And when I stopped and I thought about this emoji over and over and over again the last few weeks, I thought, hey, guess what? There's something that's common in both emojis. Did you notice what's common in both? Is a smile. I missed that. 
I totally missed that when they first sent that to me. In church and in seminary, I think I missed it too. I don't recall ever being taught about the happiness of God or that God is happy. I don't ever remember hearing happiness as an attribute of God. Holiness, sure. The love of God, sure. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, immutable, all those. But happiness? Either I was checked out or my mind is gone and I don't remember it, but I really don't remember that ever being a topic. And, and, and basically as I thought about this, being raised in the church all my life, I came to think of God as more like these emojis. The facial expression on the first one on the left-hand side is kind of emotionless. I wasn't brought up to think of it as or taught in such a way to think of this. And if I did, I maybe was in the middle emoji where it's kind of this, oh, that God was disappointed with me, that he was saddened by me, or that he looked at the world and looked at all the sin and looked at all the crime and, the, and just the corruption that goes on and just, oh. And then I thought, well, at times I thought, oh, he's angry with me. He's upset with me. Or he's, he's got to be upset with that person. Have you been there? And those thoughts in, in processing that through, maybe not with an emoji, but just that facial expression and how God is. And in keeping with the emoji analogy, I, I thought this was interesting. Did you know what the number one emoji is used, the most text emoji in all the world? It's this, tears of joy. I thought, isn't that interesting? Tears of joy, the number one emoji that's uh, texted around the world day in and day out. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. And this got me thinking again. Could that emoji ever be associated with God? Or is that emoji just associated with people? Again, I'm processing this, and I'm still doing this today, thinking this through. Or, or could this emoji ever be associated with God independent of my religious behavior? Could, could he be just happy in who he is? To put it simply, is God happy? Not because of me, not because of you, but because of himself. Is this even possible? As I process this question and thinking this through, and, and, and so in my quest to answer this question, and Pastor Mike's question about this idea of what facial expression Jesus had, I began searching the scriptures and to find answers about the happiness of God. And so our topic today is going to be on the happiness of God. If you want to use some notes that are provided there for you. Uh, today what I want to focus on is the source of what I call Christian happiness. The source of Christian happiness. I put the, the, the Christian in front of that because it's Christ. In Christ we find this kind of happiness. And next week we're going to look at the pursuit of Christian happiness. So today we're going to look at the source. So if you find this topic, uh, like I really don't care about emojis associated with God, you can blame me for that. But if you find any encouragement out of this, you can thank Pastor Mike. Is that a deal? Hey, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you're not there yet, I invite you to turn there just for a moment. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
Let's just jump to verse 1 because it's right there. Verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I began this quest to answer the question, is God happy, with this verse because of this key word, transformed. Let me just remind you of where we are in this passage of Scripture. The first part of the book of Romans is, we're all sinners. We've turned away from God. We've gone our own way. And then we hear about the redemptive story of Christ and the, the righteousness that he bestows upon us if we trust him and give our lives to him. And then we see a little bit about Israel in there. And then we get to chapter 12. And we kind of I call this the pivot point in the book because the remainder of the book is about living out the Christian life. Instructions that Paul has for you and for me of how we live. And what he's saying here is, well, therefore, that's what the therefore is therefore is because of all that Christ has done. He's urging us as Christians, in view of all that God has done, merciful, gracious God, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in a manner that's holy, that's set apart, that pleases God. We might say that makes God happy. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world because there's a pattern out there about happiness and the idea and the source of where happiness comes from. Therefore, I need to be transformed by renewing my mind about this topic, about this subject, about this attribute of God. Then, if I do that, I'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, or if you will, happy and perfect will. So really what I'm doing today, unlike most of the time that I'll take up here and teach, is I'll go into a text and exposit it and work with it. What I'm really doing with today's text is just using this idea of what Paul's presenting here is transforming my thinking, renewing my mind about how I view God and this attribute of his known as his happiness. And so this is a springboard, if you will, for my message. And I want us to be open to the idea of allowing God to transform our thinking about his attribute of happiness. But before I do, I pulled the car over, imagine, slammed on the brakes and put it in park. Because there's got to be one of you that sits there and thinks this idea. And you're asking yourself this question. It's up on the screen. Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Some of you may be wondering why I'm even using the word happiness instead of joy. Because joy is the word we hear all the time, not happiness. I think it's a good question. And if you're like me, you've often been taught, that therefore, taught and therefore think that happiness is, well, that's a worldly emotion or worldly pursuit. But joy, well, joy, well, that's really where mature Christians talk about and use that word. But happiness, well, that's for those other people. But us, we say joy. The thinking and teaching usually makes the following points. See if you've thought these or believed these like I have. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is not. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is everlasting. Happiness depends on circumstances or other people, but joy is a gift from God. 
So in my studies and processing this, I came in with the thinking, oh, this is different. Joy is over here and happiness is over here. But you know what I found? <laughs> Hello, time to transform your thinking, Bill. When you go through the Bible, guess what you find? You find verses that have the word happiness and joy in the same verse. Did you know this happens in your Bible? <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, is this right? Uh, let me give you some examples. Speaking about the restoration of Judah, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 13 says this. The maidens will dance and be glad or happy, young and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness or happiness. I will give them comfort and what? Joy instead of sorrow. They're using the same verse. Solomon puts it this way in Proverbs 23, 25 with these words. May your father and mother be glad or be happy. May she also, may she who gave you birth rejoice. Happiness and joy in the same verse. My mind is going, wait a minute. And then the prophet Isaiah prophesying about Israel's future declares in Isaiah 35.10, Only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I'm renewing my thinking about this. Maybe they're okay to be together after all those years of being told that they're not. You see, if a person is joyful, then he or she is happy. There's no such thing as glum joy, right? We cannot drain joy of emotion and still call it joy. When God's Spirit gives us joy, then we're happy. We're happy. Christians should be joyful. Happiness should characterize our, our everyday lives. Why? Well, it goes from this premise. It's because our God is a happy God. Our God is a happy God. God is the source of Christian happiness. Remember what I asked you earlier. When you think of God, what kind of emoji comes to mind? Or Pastor Mike's question. What kind of facial expressions do you think Jesus had most of the time? I want to submit to you that by default, where you would expect it to always go back to be set in the facial expression of our Lord Jesus is happiness, is joy. If we misunderstand this fact, I believe that our view of God and the Christian life will be distorted and it will not be true. Think of it in this way. How many of you have recently received a text that was meant for someone else? Have you had that happen to you? So on Monday, I got a text from a lady I knew from the church I was in before coming here. Her name's Diane Jensen. And this was her text to me. Hi, Bill. Remember for Sunday, October 22nd. Can you please pick us up at 4.30 a.m.? And I went, wait a minute, you know, because that comes up on the screen, the preview, and then, so then you unlock your phone, and you look, and let me read this again. Hi, Bill. Okay, that's me. Okay. Reminder for Sunday, October 22nd. I think I'm preaching on that day. <laughs> Can you please pick us up at 4.30 in the morning? 
I hope I'm still asleep at 4.30 in the morning. And so I say to my wife, wife, would you look at this text? Do you think she meant this for me? And of course she says, no, honey. She obviously sent that to the wrong person. So I sent her back a text and I said, hi, Diane, great to hear from you. Are you sure you didn't intend to send this to a different bill? And of course she sent me a text immediately back forth. Oh, dearie me, as she put in her text, I am so sorry. I meant that for my brother, Bill. <laughs> and I thought, well, good, because I thought, man, it's kind of an interesting thing. So, so as I thought about this, imagine if I ignored her text and I was the one who was supposed to pick her up, even though there was no previous conversation. Or what if I actually showed up at 4.30? You think she would have been freaked out? Like, what are you doing? You sent me a text. I'm supposed to be here at 4.30. I don't have a watch on, but I think if there was one, it would be 4.30 right now. Can you see how that thinking could distort and ruin her plans to go catch a plane with her husband this morning to head to Maui? If that's not corrected, if that's not properly understood. And so if God is a gloomy God, then he can't be the source of happiness and joy. Our God, though, is not a gloomy God. Our God is a happy God. And we have the hope if we get near to him, if we draw near to him, if we know him and are drawn into fellowship with him, if we have that happening, if we understand why God is happy, then we can be an eternally happy people. And so with this statement I'm making in mind, our God is a happy God, let me show you in Scripture how I came to this conclusion. And I want to ask the question this way. How can I know, how can we know that God is happy? How can we know this? What is it about God that would cause us to believe or even think that he's happy? And so I want to offer you four observations. Four observations in the Scripture that supports these observations. The first one is this. God delights in his sovereignty. God delights in his sovereignty. Psalms 115 says, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him, whatever makes him happy. What this verse implies is that God's sovereignty is, is his right and power to do whatever makes him happy. Our God is in heaven. He is above and over all things and subject to no one. That brings happiness to him. Therefore, he does, not, he does whatever he pleases. He always acts to pre preserve his maximum happiness. God is happy because his righteous acts, which are always done out of love to his own glory, can never be frustrated beyond his will. I love that. Because there's a lot of things in this world that can make me unhappy. Can you imagine if we worshipped a God that had something that could overcome him and drain him of his happiness? I don't even want to go there. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. All that makes me happy. All that brings me pleasure. 
We can be sure, therefore, that God is infinitely happy because he has absolute right and power as creator to overcome every obstacle to his joy, every obstacle to his happiness. Not even the devil himself can stand against the happiness of God. No way can that happen. 1 Timothy 6.15 says regarding God's sovereign plan of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What I want you to note in there is that word blessed. If you go to the Beatitudes, right, what does every Beatitude start with? Blessed. The Greek word in there is makarios. It's often translated blessed, but do you know what the other translation can be for that word? Happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Happy are the peacemakers. So when you come back to this verse, God will bring about in his own time, God, speaking of who he is and his sovereignty, the happy and only ruler the only happy king of kings, the only happy lord of lords, that's who this God is. That gives me an observation, a reason to understand and be able to stand firm and going, God, God is a happy God. We can know that our God is a happy God because God delights. He finds joy. He finds happiness in his sovereignty, and nothing can stand against that. The second observation of how we know that God is happy is that God delights in his glory. God delights in his glory. God is happy because he delights in himself. Independent of me. Independent of you. Independent of what happens in this world. God is happy because he delights in himself. God would be unjust if he valued anything more than what is supremely valuable. Thus himself. And he is supremely valuable. If he did not take infinite delight in his own glory, he would be unrighteous because it is right to take delight in a person, in proportion to the excellence of his glory. And as you look at the scriptures again, the texts show of how God is unwavering acts out of love for his own glory. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake, in case you missed it the first time, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. If you've had the privilege of being married, who's the focus of the day? I'm, I understand that God is, is there, but who's the focus of the day? The couple, but in particularly, who in the couple? The bride. No one else gets to walk down the aisle except her dad to give her away. When I came out of that room in the back over here, it wasn't, hey, it's Bill. Glory to be to Bill. No, it was like, we're all okay. He's out. We know what's coming next. And we can't wait to see those doors bust open, right? Because it's the bride and the glory that the bride comes in. And we go, we all stand and we look and we're like, oh, where's the cleaner? You know, it's all that and those emotions that you see. And I'm standing there going, I can't believe this day is happening. Do you, can you imagine, though, if I got up there and I said, hey, quit looking at her. Look at me. In the same way, can we imagine saying, Hey, God, why don't you look at my glory? Whoa. 
Try that on a wedding day when your bride's coming down the aisle. See what happens. Let's see how that goes for you. That's why he says what he says. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. I can, how can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Similarly, God cannot and will not share the focus of his glory with another. It would be idolatry for him to do so. Psalm 104.31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I don't know if you realize that God has always been happy with his glory. And always will be happy forever and ever and ever with his glory. I love that. My mind goes, man, I don't know. Can I get my mind transformed to be thinking this way? In the happiness of God. Because in glory endures forever, God will be happy forever. The third observation, how we can know that God is a happy God, is that God delights in his son. Oh, God delights in his son. One of the best ways to see God's immense happiness of his sovereignty, of his glory, is how he delights in his son. Prophesying from the, uh, of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 42, 1. It says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight, who I am happy in. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. And when Jesus entered the world, Matthew writes in Matthew 3, 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, with whom I am happy. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus there at that moment? To hear the voice of God, let alone what that had to be like, but to hear what his father says about his son. Can you imagine the facial expression that came over Jesus when he hears his dad say, I am happy with you. What a moment to have captured a snapshot and go, I'm going to use that emoji, Right? To see what the God's face was like at that moment. Think about it this way. What do you think Jesus' facial expression was when you received him as your Savior? And the parable that lost the 99 sheep, only one, they go out and find it. The 99 are there. And when they find it, it says that there's rejoicing. When what? When one comes back, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's people getting saved all the time. It brings a happiness to our Father, to our Son, because of what's going on. The last observation of how we can know that God is happy is that God delights in His creation. He delights in his creation, we go back to Genesis 1.25 and we read, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all, <clears throat> excuse me, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. In other words, after God had done all that, he looked at that and go, man, I am happy. This is good. This brings me pleasure with what he has created as he spoke existence there. You know, one of the things I love about the wintertime in Southern California, other than it's 
pleasantly warm, maybe a little bit too warm coming up this week, although we're in fall still, are sunsets. There's something about sunsets, as surfing most of my life at the beach and being at a, you know, a session, a glass-off session in the evening, watching the sun come, come go down. In the summertime, it's kind of hazy sometimes. There's a fog rolling in. But in the wintertime, oh, I love sitting in the water and watching the sun go down and seeing Catalina out there and going, man, I regularly... I regularly will stop and look. And I see the colors and the clouds and the pinks and all that. And I go, yes, I love looking at that. A week ago, I was at Hume Lake. And, and, and I was up there, and, and it was so dark. And I looked out, and I saw no moon. You know what that means? Stars are everywhere. And I stood there feeling a little bit like a moron, if this is what a moron feels like. And I just stood there and I go, God, I love your creation. Nobody was around, thankfully, but I just stood there and my hands raised. I've never done that before, but I was just captivated in that moment of his creation and knowing that gives God happiness and we can enjoy in this happiness. In reference to Adam in Genesis 1.31, we read this, God saw all that he had made. And he said that it was very good. That it was made him very happy to make man in his own image. How many of you have ever received a baby announcement? A few of you. How many of you have ever sent one out? What are the usual words that are on it? We are what? Happy to announce the arrival of so-and-so. Never have I ever seen... A card, go out, we're really disappointed. We're feeling rather gloomy, but we thought we would let you know, after all the prayer that you gave, we have this boy. Now, maybe his sister would be sending that out, but not his parents, right? That's kind of how it was in my family. I want to submit to you that when God created you, it gave him pleasure. When Psalms 139 says that he knit you together in his mother's womb, that made him happy to do that work. I love that. Of knowing that God was happy, thrilled to knit me together in his image. Thrilled to knit you together in his image. I want to conclude with a quote a quote that I am still processing through. And then I want to ask a question. The quote comes from Blaise Pascal, a Christian French philosopher and mathematician. He puts this, it's up on the screen. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some is going to war and of others avoiding it. It's the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even in those who hang themselves. In my studies, in my reading, I went, wow, when I came across this quote. 
to process it like you're doing, going, well, let me get my mind around this. You see, this is a very powerful statement. Pascal is basically saying, look, we all do want to be happy, so let's get real about it. Everything we do is motivated not by what we will make us happy, but what we believe will make us happy. Why is he saying, though, that even the person who hangs himself seeks happiness? It's because that person who commits suicide is tired of all the unhappiness and wants to end it. He wants to be more happy. And so they'll even hang themselves to it. So as I processed all this, as I looked at these observations, as I looked and made this statement, God is a happy God, and I gave you that God is, uh, delights in his sovereignty and his glory and his son and his creation, I thought, I'm still like, okay, is it okay to desire happiness? Is that okay if I want that? And I want to submit to you, yes. With tears of joy, I want to submit to you, yes. But where should we seek this happiness? Where should we find this happiness? Where will we find and experience the real and lasting happiness? Well, according to scriptures we've looked at this morning, it is God, and it is God alone. God is the source and the creator of all happiness. It is only in him and in a right relationship with him that we will be able to experience happiness flowing from the great fountain of God's own happiness. Therefore, my friends, I encourage you to do what Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I encourage you to do what Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. For God and God alone is the source of happiness. I encourage you to pursue him. You know why? Because you'll be happy that you did. God, I thank you that, God, you are happy in your sovereignty, in your glory, in your son, in your creation. God, thank you for sharing your happiness with us. God, I pray for anybody here this morning who's not made that decision to receive you as their Savior. God, I know based upon what your word says, there's no way they can be totally happy in this life apart from you. And so if you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus as your Savior, this could be the happiest day of your life. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, or you're uncertain about your salvation and where you will spend eternity, do you want to spend it in a place that is miserable and horrible? Or do you want to spend it in a place that is eternally happy with the eternally happy God and happy people? If you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ, then just pray this prayer quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior. Oh, happy God. Here's my life, my sin. I confess it to you. Ask that you would forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and life that I might know you, God. 
and understand what happiness, Christian happiness, happiness found in you, Jesus, is in your name. Father, I thank you for our church. God, may we be known as a happy church because we draw into you and from you our happiness.